You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I closed the show with it last night, and we will start with it again today as the college football world continues to react to the news of Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame for LSU. Last night, Mike Golick Jr. came on right after the news broke to talk about what it meant for Notre Dame, the surprise, the first time ever that a coach has voluntarily left the Irish. Also, what the fit might look like at LSU and how this affects college football playoff and more. Joining me tonight to talk about that and a lot more is Courtney Cronin. She's filling in for Fitz here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline, including my old radio colleague at ESPN 1000, Mark Silverman. He's going to join us to talk Giving Tuesday. All day long here on ESPN Radio, we've been supporting something very near and dear to our hearts, the V Foundation. You can be a part of this giant day of giving and support for cancer research. Search by going to v.org slash donate. Looking forward to talking to Sylvie about his own battle with cancer, what the V Foundation means to him, and of course we'll get into all of the Chicago reactions to Baez signing, the Bears sucking, and, and everything else in Chicago. But let's talk college football, Courtney. Last night, shockwaves on the news from Brian Kelly, which we shouldn't really be surprised at all anymore when a coach leaves any position in college football, but there is a rarefied sense that Notre Dame is a destination and it's hard to beat. Were you surprised, and did you think it was the right move for him to go to LSU? Not surprised because of what he said a couple days before that, that it would take a $250 million check, and he might have to ask his wife about whether he could go or not. Anytime somebody throws something like that out there, I think it's a hint that they're already thinking about the next step. And Putting that number out, out there. Today, the athletic director from Notre Dame said he wasn't surprised at all, so I guess none of us should be. And no, I don't like the hire for LSU for a number of different reasons. Let's start out with the most obvious. This is a program down in Baton Rouge that is dealing with numerous, numerous, numerous Title IX um, allegations and, and a lot of bad things that have happened culturally within that football program. And you're, you're bringing somebody into the program who has dealt with much of that at Notre Dame in certain respects. And I don't like it from that re for that reason. I do not like the way that he left Notre Dame. I know that I'm not alone in that, just the – Leave it. it was unprecedented what he did in leaving six days before his team, you know, could get into the college football playoff for the third time in in four years. Which you're on the cusp of a national championship. You have an 11 and one football team, and you're gonna bolt before you guys are you know even playing in that game. It's just it's just weird to me. I don't really understand why he did it the way he did. But money talks. It's a reported 10-year, $95 million deal. So, of course, at the end of the day, you have to follow the dollar signs. But if I'm LSU, I understand what they're trying to do here to get a big-name coach in. He just wasn't the one that I thought would end up there. I think it's a great move. And I know it's about money. Of course it's about money. But I agree with others who have said that they believe there probably would have been a competing offer, a matching offer from Notre Dame if he had gone to them and said, I want to stay, but this is the offer I'm getting. I don't think it was just money. I think you look at the program. He spent 12 years there. He is now the winningest coach ever in the history of Notre Dame, passing Newt Rockney of all people. He does not have a national championship there, and some would argue if you look across at the guys that preceded him at LSU, they aren't better coaches. They are coming from a position that has more resources and less restrictions on recruitment. You know, the, Notre Dame may only in some ways want to give the image of propriety, but regardless – they do offer up an image of a connection to their Catholic roots, 
grades mm-hmm. and academic standards that are much higher than any expected to, to, to play at LSU. And you look at the way LSU has prioritized football, particularly in recent years. Ed Ogeron and that football staff and multiple members of the academics and a larger swath of, the, of that uh, university all under Title IX investigation for allegedly not reporting rapes that have been, you know, allegations of rapes on the football team. And there was no punishment when it was proved that Ed, Ed Orgeron was told and didn't do anything. Uh, they have clearly prioritized. Now, that's not to say that there's a clean record over at, at Notre Dame, but they do care more about their reputation. And at LSU, it feels like he just has a bigger range of people to go after, to recruit, to bring in without the same academic standards and rigors that you have. And maybe that's why there is still that elusive national championship. In fact, when he passed Newt Rockney as winning his coach, his response to that was simply, now you're just going to say the winning is coach without a, a national title. It feels like that was stuck in his mind, that people were going to point that out. And to mm-hmm. your point about leaving before the bowl game, I don't care about the text last night. I thought it was pretty well written and seemed pretty honest. I didn't really love the I love you all limitlessly or whatever. That was weird. Um, and I don't care about the 11-minute meeting this morning. I don't know how much longer you need to say I'm out of here. But the leaving before the bowl game is interesting. And I wonder if you think there need to be some sort of dead zone in the end, in college football where you cannot switch schools within a certain distance before a playoff opportunity. If you're within a certain rankings, if you have an opportunity, if you're in the hunt, say in college football using NFL parlance, can, can you then be restricted from leaving your coaching position before you've seen that out? That doesn't mean you can't negotiate, but it means you're not allowed to leave the school that you're already with and you're not allowed to announce or leave to go to work for another team. Do you think that's something that they need? Yeah, but they're going to argue, or coaches will argue, man, we're missing out on the recruiting period. Because remember, signing day in February doesn't mean anything, really, mm-hmm. anymore, because there's the early signing period in December that these next two weeks, I mean, the coaches who are out of the playoff, who you know don't have teams that are qualifying for, who have already qualified for a bowl game, and they're sending their kids home, basically, till they begin practice for that. You know, they're on the road these next two weeks. So it technically is an advantage for those coaches over someone like a Brian Kelly, who apparently has kind of already packed up and gone to LSU and, you know, leaving a team on the cusp of a championship to have somebody else coach them. So I don't know if there'd be any sort of legislation that they could pass. It would make complete sense, but recruiting rules all. And when you're trying to get kids to flip or somebody who might be on the fence these final two weeks, yeah. those in-home visits I, and I those official visits are important. So is the answer then that we just allow players in the transfer portal and they can choose what's best for them and we allow coaches to make whatever decision is best for them, regardless of the effect it has? Because for the most part – that's what this feels like, and that's kind of how it already is. There is a part of me that does feel for players that have played with – it's, you know, 12 years with Brian Kelly, but whether they've been there a year or four, with this opportunity in front of him to go to the playoff, that does feel like a really heart-rending time to leave. Mm-hmm. But to your point, if it's the only opportunity to leave and get a head start on your next job, you can't blame him or the school for that. And- and maybe this is me just being, um, you know, sardonic about this, but I look back at, you know, their last four either national championship or college football playoff games, you know, 2012 when they were in the BCS national championship, they got killed by Alabama. 2015 Fiesta Bowl got killed by Ohio State. 2018 Cotton Bowl got killed by Clemson. Rose Bowl, we know what happened last year to Alabama. 
does he is that a sign of what he thinks about his team that yeah like we may get into the college football playoff tonight I mean we've got the ranking show going up on ESPN right now the top four should be out in the next couple minutes you know what does he think of what is that saying to your team and the message of your team that you work to coach a national championship team right so why wouldn't you stay and try to you know finish that through see that through work something out with LSU that you could get there later I don't know I just I, I, I kind of wonder though. about what he thinks about his actual team right now and maybe that oh it'd just be history repeating itself I'm gonna go get a head start on my next opportunity do you believe in every one of those cases that his team was as good or better than the other and it was about coaching could have been, but I mean, recruiting wise, they've got a national base. So I, just, I understand I the talent you're going to pull at LSU. Right. And people disagree, Courtney, about whether Notre Dame is a better place than than LSU. Marcus Spears was on it's a uh, more storied place. KJ guess, and Max but... had this to say about about the hire. It ain't as sexy to the eyes and ears, but Brian Kelly has won. He plays a physical brand of football that I like up front. And I think this move is about consistency as opposed to a splash. We've been down that route. A lot of schools have been down that route. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. Brian Kelly, 60 years old, man. He coming to win. And ultimately, y'all know what it is if you win. You know, I, I know culturally the fit and all of that. Nick Saban came from Michigan State. Nobody knew who the hell he was. But when he started winning, coincidentally, he fits the culture at LSU. So I'm going to give it time, man. But, but his resume speaks for itself, and I like it. I gotta be honest with you. the splash hire is always fun for like the first three four months, and then you gotta have some substance to it. I think this one got some substance to it. We'll talk about this more in the show because Courtney, you seem to think maybe not, and I believe as much as Notre Dame has history in the NBC deal, uh, there are those restrictions that perhaps are the reason he never was able to put them over the top. You can be a part of the conversation too. Join Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nations presented by Dr Pepper College Football is back. It's been back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Coming up, we got playoff rankings coming out, a massive NBA game tonight, LeBron news. We have a lot to get to. We'll do it in quickies next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. You heard it, v.org slash donate. Please help us here on Giving Tuesday support the very deserving V Foundation. 100% of your money will go to cancer research and funding. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance with insurance for cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and commercial vehicles at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and progressive.com. We're going to get to quickies, but quickly, before quickies, we're going to quickly say that the CFP rankings are out and there is a new top four. Number one, Georgia. We all know that. Number two, Michigan. After the upset of Ohio State, Michigan slides on their khaki-clad bottoms right into number two. Alabama at three. Cincinnati stays put at four. We'll get some expertise on all of this in 15 minutes. Courtney, I'm feeling very good for the first time since I selected Michigan as my college football team a couple years ago in college football bachelorette's finally paying off. <laughs> Do you think they're going to disappoint you, though, this weekend? I mean, yeah, probably. Is yeah, that seems, really, really yeah. – that defense is tough. Yeah, it seems like what's going to happen, but let's just enjoy it while we can. Should we? Yeah, okay. Let's get to Quickies. <laughs> quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. We do that, and we're going to start with a massive NBA game 
There are not many in the regular season that can sort of break through the mess, but Suns Warriors, two of the five teams in the league right now that are top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency, are meeting with the Suns' 16-game win streak on the line, with the Warriors' hot streak waiting for Klay Thompson to hop back in the lineup and make them even stronger. We've got the best versus the best since a slow start. Courtney, this one is an exciting one to the point where Devin Booker responded to all the coverage of it. Dang, you guys are treating this like a playoff game. It kind of feels like one very early. Well, yeah, it's because it's only the fifth matchup this early in the season where you have a combined win percentage of 875 with at least 20 games having been played. So early on, it looks like, man, these two teams are headed to try to break the Warriors record from 2016-17 or 15-16 of 73-9. and I don't know if uh, we should put that much stock into it, but it's but it's interesting because they're both on a, at least a seven-game win streak, and they're both the hottest teams in the NBA in the same conference. So why not? Let's let's treat this like the finals. Let's treat this like the Western Conference Finals, and, and let's go. Interesting matchup, too, because the Warriors are trying to reassert themselves as the king of the West after injuries drop them out of being that dominant present. The Suns, on the other hand, last year proved themselves to be the cream of the crop and fell just short. They've got Chris Paul, who is on a very soon-to-close window for a championship that he has waited his entire career for. You've got an extremely hot Devin Booker and those two together in the clutch. So you can read up what exactly is defined as the clutch in these situations. But they have four, the Suns do, of the top six players in clutch time offensive rating, Devin Booker and Chris Paul at the top. You put those against Steph, who has a flair for the dramatic and big games like this, it's going to be a good one. Uh, Speaking of the Suns and Chris Paul in that window, Stephen A. Smith and J.J. Redick went at it on first take today. Stephen A. said the Suns championship window is already closed. Here's what it sounded like. Basketball is a team sport. And we've talked about this every time I've come on the show. Yes. The Warriors are a great team. Yes. So are the Phoenix Suns. I agree. So are the Phoenix Suns. This is levels to it. But to say their championship window has closed is asinine. No, 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 it hasn't. It's not asinine. They're a better team than they were last year. You're going to apologize to me last year. You're going to apologize again? They're a better team than they were last year. You're going to apologize? Their ancillary guys have all gotten better this year. Mikel Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, Cam Payne, Cam Johnson, Landry Shams. We're talking levels. And what I'm saying to you about Listen, one Phoenix is a championship contender. Phoenix is to be respected. What I'm saying to you is this. When I think about Brooklyn at its best, when I think about Milwaukee at its best, when I think about Miami potentially at its best, there's only one team I look at in the Western Conference and go like, this, I don't give a damn who you put them up against. One, and that's Golden State. Okay, he just said the Phoenix Suns are a very good team and they're championship contenders while arguing that their championship window is closed. Uh, do you have any input besides that, or do we just move on and say, Stephen A., come on, man. I mean, I mean, the Suns just won 16 consecutive games. <laughs> yeah. They're second place in the Western Conference behind the Warriors, so I don't think that either of their championship windows, windows should be talked closed. about right now. It seems like they're very wide open. Uh, it's Fane and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz here. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's get to the next story. Quickies. While we're on the subject of the NBA, we were going to talk to you about a Lakers-Kings game tonight. Not so much because the Kings are that exciting, or as Stash called them, Sacramento, but because the Lakers sitting at 11-11 and are off to a troubled start, and now LeBron is out tonight. He has been announced to be in health and safety protocols. He's definitely missing tonight's game. He already missed 11 of their 22 coming in because of injuries and a suspension. 
Team is seven and four with him, four and seven without him. And now there is a minimum of 10 days of isolation if he's confirmed positive. We don't know yet what exactly his status is, whether he's in protocols with a positive test or just close contact. We'll get you that information as soon as we have it. But continue to be a struggle for the Lakers early on. And Courtney, the thing with the Lakers is any team with LeBron James, as long as they Eke, eke their way into the playoffs. I don't care if it's the last spot. I'm still going to say that's a tough out. I'd be worried. You worried about their championship window more than you are the Phoenix Suns? Because I am. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, to me, that is, that is um, you know, it's not just that, but what happens after LeBron's gone where AD is supposed to be your succession plan as your number one, and he's starting to look like a number 1A. One, I'm sorry, 1B. I mean, 1B. yeah, if he's out for – if Bron's out for 10 games, then does yeah. his team just fall apart again like it's he be did very earlier in the season? to see whether it's a positive test or otherwise and how long they're going to be without him. Uh, also, funny note I saw today, not really funny, kind of sad, but Adam McKay and Will Ferrell, who I believe started Funny or Die together, were working together on tons of projects, allegedly had a falling out over the Lakers movie – Will Ferrell wanted to be Jerry Buss. Adam McKay decided to cast his best friend John C. Riley instead because it's more realistic, more of the Buss vibes. And apparently they aren't speaking anymore. So the Lakers are even managing to break up some of our favorite comedy duos. Get it together, Lakers. Enough. I don't care if you screw over your fans, but let's let's leave the rest of us with some of those folks we like. Uh, all right, next story. Quickies. The dream has died. I was told that perhaps Javi Baez would want to return to the Cubs after a brief stint with the Mets and a six-year, $140 million deal with the Tigers means it's over. I don't really have anything else to add about that. I'm just very sad. Also, how the hell are these people going to go into negotiations claiming that they don't have any money as they're giving away $2 billion worth of contracts in the last three days, and then are the players going to come in saying they aren't making any money when they're getting $2 billion? Well, make it make sense, Courtney. That's why they're headed towards Courtney. a lockout. It's right. Why, why the lockout's going to happen in a week. I mean, Nobody goodness. trusts anyone, and for good reason when they're trying to pull that crap. All right, we're going to talk CFP rank. It's coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, hanging out with you on this Giving Tuesday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, all day long here on ESPN Radio. You've heard us talk about the V Foundation. V.org slash donate is where you can give. Know that 100% of what you give goes to cancer research. This is an incredible organization that ESPN has been affiliated with for a very long time. And the results and the, the, the sort of tentacles of it have affected so many within our own ESPN community that you've heard on and on the air all day. Um, and that includes great tributes to Stuart Scott, conversations with people like Shelly Smith and, and Jim Kelly. We're going to talk to Mark Silverman from ESPN 1000 a little bit later, but um, really give what you can. And if it is a day that you feel like you have nothing to give financially, you have something to give, whether that's generosity to a friend or neighbor, writing a letter of gratitude to someone or simply making somebody else smile. I know that sounds silly, but especially in these times, you can be a bit of light in the darkness, and uh, giving to the V Foundation is one way to do it, but all those other ways are wonderful as well. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, rankings reaction coming up to the new CFP rankings. It's brought to you by Wendy's. It's better breakfast o'clock at Wendy's. So get a bacon or sausage, egg and cheese biscuit for $1. Pete Futak, our go-to guy from collegefootballnews.com, joins us to chit-chat about these every week. Pete I recently assigned myself to be a Michigan football fan just a couple years ago. So far, it has been nothing but heartache, but it is finally paying off as my Michigan Wolverines hit number two. We all know about Georgia. Let's forget about Georgia. Let's talk about Michigan at number two. 
Wait, wait. Let's talk about the. Why would you do that? I don't know. I literally why, had why, a. Why? Why? Yeah. Michigan? Like, I had no a months long. I, I had a months long process called college football bachelorette, and I whittled it down using traditions and famous alumni. I took tail dates to several of the finalists to figure out what vibe felt like me, and apparently oh, no. I feel like an overpaid loser because that's the vibe I chose. <laughs> oh, oh no, no, no! You're you're Chicago based. You have your you have your choice of a whole slew of I know. areas. I don't know why. I you would no. do that to yourself no. but all right well hey you know maybe that was the catalyst That's that was right. enough for them to finally beat ohio state That's and right. uh, yeah look number two it's the the big number the 12 and one big 10 champion is going to get in this but as the but as a michigan as a newly born michigan fan then the next thing out of your mouth has to be oh great he beat ohio state now they're going to blow it against iowa yeah, I mean it is. I've already been I've already been conditioned even the, just in the recent years since I joined to know that now we expect a big letdown against Iowa. <laughs> exactly, because you're not allowed to have nice things. <laughs> okay, Pete. So since I was actually going to bring up Iowa because I stupidly said that they were playing Wisconsin because everybody thought they were going to be playing Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game next week, but let's move on because uh, we don't need to dwell <laughs> on my mistakes. mistakes. I went to Wisconsin, um, so you can you if you want to, if you want to stay Wisconsin, five by me. I'm happy to live in that. I mean, I can, we can happily talk about those fourth quarter punts that I'm not really sure what, uh, um, what Paul yeah, Chris no, was doing, no, but no, we can we can move on. Fortunately, everyone watched Alabama Auburn by then. And, Yes. Away from that game, but yes. It, and that's where I want to get to with you next, because we know that the college football playoff committee loves Alabama. They want Alabama yep. in their top four. But we know that the big the, the SEC championship game features the best defense maybe ever in the SEC with Georgia taking on Alabama. Can the Crimson Tide get in with two losses? I don't think so, and but you are right. I don't know if you've ever been there in Grapevine, Texas, in that uh, committee conference room there. But in the corner, there's a little box that says "in case of emergency, break." It's there, you know, because it's Alabama clause that they like to pull out whenever they're not quite sure what else to do. So you can never completely count Alabama out. And look, they, they didn't kill the zombie. It was they had. 97 yards to go. It was over. They were going to have two losses. They were going to get knocked out by Auburn. Didn't do it. Now, look, I, I don't think they're going to get in. And certainly a two-loss Alabama, even if it's like a close game on a loss on a walk-off field goal, I wouldn't put it 100% past the committee that they would put Cincinnati with that schedule ahead of Alabama when all of a sudden done on a four-best team thing. I don't think it would happen. I think Alabama's got to beat Georgia. It could absolutely happen. They've got the guys. They've got the NFL talent there. And Georgia, as good as it's been, hasn't really beaten anybody great in a while. I mean, there's the Arkansas win, but that was like 10 years ago. I, I wouldn't put it past Bama to pull this off. I don't think two-loss Alabama gets in unless – Sarah Spain's Michigan team does lose. <laughs> and if there's other problems along the way, if there is chaos, I do think Bama gets in as long as it doesn't get annihilated. I don't think there's going to be chaos, though. I think Oklahoma State takes care of business. I think Michigan takes care of business. Not 100% sure about Cincinnati versus Houston, mm. but I'll still stick with my call that Cincinnati's going to get by Houston, even though this is a good Cougar team that's kind of been flying under the radar. It could absolutely win this game. 
It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz. We're talking to Pete Futak of collegefootballnews.com about the latest CFP rankings. Number one, Georgia, two, Michigan, three, Alabama, four, Cincinnati, five, Oklahoma State, and six, Notre Dame. So what are the chances either Notre Dame or Oklahoma State could move into that top four? And even if Cincy wins out, is there still a chance that they aren't in that last four? Yeah, I am a thousand percent, uh, I think, on in on this. I'm very trepidatious here, but... Until the college football committee changes the way it does things, it's if you're 12 and one and you're a power five champion, you're almost always in. There's been one exception. And that was a year in 2018. I think I have that right. When Ohio state got annihilated by Purdue and you had an undefeated Notre Dame team. that just had to be in Cincinnati. Doesn't have to be in with this schedule. It's just not good enough. So even though it's at four right now, if Oklahoma State beats Baylor, the key to this, this week's rankings is Baylor's number nine. That will mean that Oklahoma State will have beaten now number 14 Oklahoma, which was 10th last week, and it'll have two wins over Baylor. That's, that's the toughest slate to finish up the season that anybody's got with two top 10 ranked teams. Because, again, Oklahoma was ranked 10th last week. They're going to get in. I think a 12-1 Oklahoma State is going to get in as long as they beat Baylor relatively handily because number win over number 19, that's going to trump what Cincinnati has done all year because they've got the one win over Notre Dame, and that's it. So I do think Oklahoma State's in with the win. Uh, but if Georgia takes care of Alabama, I think then it's easy. It's Georgia. It's Michigan. I think Oklahoma State jumps to three. Not to say that the committee thinks like this because they don't. However, that 2-3 game's probably going to be in Arlington and Jerry World AT&T Stadium and Oklahoma State would travel there a little bit better. I think it would be Michigan versus the Cowboys at 2-3 and Cincinnati 4. But either way, Cincinnati and Oklahoma State will take getting in no matter where they go. Pete, Gary Barda, the CFP committee chair, said a little bit ago that, um, you know, the loss Uh of a head coach matters in all of this. Uh And we know that Brian Kelly Mm. is maybe not, I think he's not, probably not coaching in the um, the rest of the Notre Dame schedule for the rest of this year. How how could that potentially affect if the Fighting Irish get into – the, the final four, do you think that that would have any sort of effect or is it, would it just be that they collapse down the stretch here because they're dealing with the loss of their head coach? I don't think Notre Dame would be left out just because of that. However, you're right. Barna said, and this is part of it. If they, you know, they can pick whoever they want. They don't have to take any of these teams. They could go out there and take, you know, Louisiana Monroe if they want and put them in, they can do whatever they choose. And part of the, the factor is if, if like a star quarterback goes down, or if you've lost your head coach. And that's where this is a problem. Brian Kelly did not wait until Sunday. Like, you know, Lincoln Riley at least kind of waited on all this until it was for sure that Oklahoma was not going to get in the college football playoff. They lost Oklahoma State. Okay, they're not in the Big Coast Championship. Go to USC. Okay, that's about as good as the timing can get. Notre Dame's not 100% out of this. Look, if Michigan loses, if Bama loses, now it's interesting. Now Notre Dame could slide right up into that top four uh, if there's any sort of chaos happening. And God help Brian Kelly and his legacy if that guy left for LSU to go pursue a national championship and he did it because he couldn't wait 36 hours until he found out whether or not his team could actually play for a national championship. 
that would be pretty massive. And that would be, you want to see, we're talking about screaming from Irish nation. If all of a sudden the rationale that Notre Dame does not get into the college football playoffs right. is because they don't have their head coach. God bless you, Brian Kelly. That's going to be interesting. Well, and Pete, you know, I've said all day, it's not right or fair or good, but that's what college football is right now. And to point fingers at anyone at this point who leaves for a better opportunity or more money is to ignore that that's the realities of it. But if if they, they use that as a reason to punish the players out on the field for their opportunity, that would that would be a whole nother level to this that would really be hard to take for Notre yeah, Dame fans, for the players percent. on that squad, and for Brian Kelly. A thousand percent. And now we can all be done with the pearl clutching of when the, the star pro prospect decides he doesn't want to play in a bowl game exhibition and you know preserve so he doesn't blow out his knee. Well, I mean, that's nice of, of you, that, though, to presume that people offer up the same set of principles for coaches and players despite one of them exactly. making millions of dollars and the other actually thinking about business for once and prioritizing money exactly. for once and then they get the heat for it. Uh, Pete, before we let you go, and we're out of time here really quickly, so what is your best guess of what this looks like for the playoff? I, I honestly think it's going to be Georgia. I think it's going to be Michigan number two. I think Oklahoma State flies up to three, and I think Cincinnati ends up at four. Uh, I don't think we're going to have too much catch. We have yet to see anything other than chalk in the college football playoff uh, era conference championships. Awesome stuff. Thanks, Pete. Thank you, too. Pete Futak, you can find him on collegefootballnews.com. He's always got great insight on this stuff. He's brought to you by Goodyear. With you for every mile on the road to greatness, Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, we finally heard from Tiger Woods what to make of what he said today. It's coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Guests join us on the Goodyear hotline. We're going to go there in about 15 minutes to set you up for a huge hoops game tonight. Maybe a little update on LeBron being out for the Lakers again in COVID protocols. Don't forget it's Giving Tuesday all day here on ESPN Radio. You've heard some great voices speaking about the power of the V Foundation. You can join in the Giving Tuesday goodness. V.org slash donate. Whatever you can give helps 100% of what you give goes to cancer research and cancer support. So the V Foundation has been doing massive big things alongside ESPN for years, and we continue to support them and hope we can invite you to join in supporting them as well. Let's get to some straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless. We heard from tiger woods today and Courtney, it's, it's sort of fascinating um, in this business, how much focus and attention can be given to something and then how it can fade away as other things take precedence. And particularly with someone like tiger woods, who's in a sport that we, we cover it's very peaks, but not the minutia on a daily basis. And it's, it's actually been a while since I thought about his, his status and, and what was the result of that horrific car accident? He spoke today and gave us a little bit of sense of what he's been going through over the last few months. It's hard to explain how difficult it's been uh, just to be immobile for you know, three months and just lay there. And you know, I was just looking forward to just getting outside. And that was you know, a goal of mine. And uh, especially for a person who has lived his entire life outside, um, that, was, that was a goal. And... Uh, Finally got to that point, uh, went transition from wheelchair to crutches to now nothing. Uh, it's been a lot of hard work. I, I'm very thankful to all the surgeons and, and especially the, the nurses who are the unsung heroes through all of it, uh, who were there you know, by my bed and kept my, my spirits up, all my friends and family. Uh, there were some tough times in there. There were some really, really tough times and 
pain got, got pretty great at times, but um, it helped me get through it. This, of course, was the crash back at the end of February. He was in the hospital for three weeks and then a hospital-like bed for three months after that. Talked about how there was a 50-50 chance that part of his leg might actually be amputated. He didn't talk about what happened that day, Courtney, and he referenced the police report that was issued in April, but nobody's really seen that. And so we're still not really sure of exactly what happened that day. He did address the thought of possibly playing again, and this is what he had to say about it. As far as playing at the tour level, I, I don't know when that's going to happen. Now, I'll play around here and there, um, a little hit and giggle. I can, I can do something like that, but uh, at least I'm able to do it again. That's something that for a while there, did, it didn't look like I was going to. I'm able to participate in the sport of golf. Now, to what level, I do not know that. He said he remembered the way Ben Hogan ramped up for a few events a year and that there's no reason he wouldn't be able to do that. Wouldn't be necessarily tournament sharp because he wouldn't have played leading up to it, but could get himself ready and still try to compete every once in a while. Uh, what do you make of, of what we heard from Tiger today? I think he was realistic, and I know we didn't play it in that sound specifically, but being okay that he might never be the same player again. It's an unfortunate reality for him, but it is his reality, and being able to come out and say that and you know he's already made it so far this was february i remember exactly where i was when the news broke you know right at the end of february i believe it was like the 23rd so nine months later mm -hmm. he's walking again he's still i mean you've seen the videos of him out on the course you know just kind of hitting um off what looks like a driving range and him talking about not the like not talking about the two or not saying let's make a comeback for the masters being realistic with it because he's kind of offered a second lease on life those leg injuries and the fact that he's talking about is there was a 50 50 chance that his leg was going to have to be amputated you don't try to put cart before the horse here it's still an everyday battle for him in trying to recover to where maybe even like a third of where he was from a physical standpoint before this in, before this horrific car crash. So I think he was realistic with it, and it made sense to me that he yeah. was not willing to get into too many of the details of the car crash um, because it is there is still a really big mystery surrounding that considering it was a single car crash and he, he was by himself. Yeah, a very dangerous street, but uh, there were some circumstances around it of him potentially being in a hurry, him potentially falling asleep or being tired from, from other stuff. So, um, yeah, lots of questions remain, but I think the honesty about his future and the gratitude for just being able to even get out and, you know, hits and giggles, mm -hmm. as he called it, which is a new version of that that I haven't heard, um, is good, is good. And it does put an extra emphasis on the Masters that he won a couple years ago. That already meant so much to so many people, but I think for those people, that chance to see him prevail one more time on that biggest stage um, will sort of be held with them a little bit longer if he isn't able to ultimately break the all-time record and be definitively without any question, both statistically and sort of um, in people's minds, subjectively, the greatest of all time. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin with me here on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain. Fitz is out tonight. Uh, Courtney, I want to talk to you a little bit about running back injuries because before the show you were talking about how you just feel like after hearing about Christian McCaffrey and some other folks around the league, the running back injuries and the handling of them has been worrisome for you this year. Yeah, I think with Christian McCaffrey, the fact that the Panthers just had to put him on injured reserve it stinks because he had the hamstring injury week three. 
They kind of rushed him back. He was at practice, then he wasn't. And he was at practice, and then he wasn't. And then they make him active. He now has this ha- this ankle injury, and he's done for the year, which is just really unfortunate because no one's going to want to take on that contract. So it's not like he can request a trade out of there and be with a staff that's not going to force him back onto the field because he is their entire offense. So I feel for him. I mean, Dalvin Cook's also dealing with a shoulder injury. That's a two-game thing for him. And so a lot of fantasy owners, I know this is a big Tuesday for the waiver wire pickup. You know, there are a lot of owners who have both of those guys on their team, and they're wondering which route do you go. I mean, DeAndre Swift from Detroit's also dealing with an injury. Ezekiel Elliott is supposed to be playing this Thursday. I think that's what Jerry Jones spouted off saying today, but there's also Tony Pollard. So it feels like this like onslaught of running back injuries, all that came to a head in week 12. And on top of that too, I mean, quasi running backs, Debo Samuel, who was used more as a running mm-hmm. back than as a receiver in San Francisco, he's dealing with an injury to his groin as well. So yeah, a whole lot of them. It just, they all kind of came on all at once. What a mess for the Panthers too. I mean, yeah. Between benching Cam and and at first thinking that he might be the fix for some of their issues or at least get them to have a more interesting finish to this season, um, and now McCaffrey out again. Yeah, and I mean, I think with Matt Rule now in his second losing season and a very impatient Dave Tepper who's probably regretting that seven-year contract, we talk about all these college openings. I haven't heard Matt Rule's name seriously thrown around anywhere, but might he be looking to get out from under because of no just of knowing like what the stakes are in the NFL that he's going to probably be fired sooner rather than later and maybe one of those big name openings is a better fit for him than you know being with a team that doesn't have a great quarterback I just don't know if I'd want my employment to be in the hands of as you mentioned a very impatient Tepper who has those giant metal testicles on his desk it just feels like at any moment he might be it might be time to move on and you're right Matt Rule might have a very uh, hot seat right now, unrelated to the metal testicles. couple hours away from Warrior Sons, Nick Friedel is going to join us to talk about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We got a great matchup in the NBA tonight. Suns trying to stretch that win streak to 17 straight time, a franchise record with that, looking to pass it. The Warriors trying to stay hot, prove that they're back in contention in the West. Two incredible teams facing off, and when we have a game like that, we got to bring in our buddy to preview it. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And Nick Friedel is going to join us here on the Goodyear Hotline to give us the straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Friedel, this is a big one. How pumped are you? How are we making this much, much bigger than a regular season game with all the hype we've got going for it? <laughs> this is where we have to remind everybody, Sarah, that it's still the end of November. No, no, no. We can't. Hey, don't bring us down. This is super exciting. Don't give me no Devin is... Booker. Why are you talking about this like it's a playoff game? It is. Let's pretend right, it is. Right, right. <laughs> this is. What's even funnier is they play tonight and then they come back to San Francisco and they play Friday. So we're going to see it a couple times. It's a, it's a fun early season matchup, but I think both teams have it right as far as the perspective goes because Draymond was saying the other day yeah you, you love to to knock off a team that's on a 16 game winning streak but uh, these are two teams that are still trying to figure themselves out and certainly figure each other out tonight in this moment so I don't think they're going to read into it that much either way but from the Warriors standpoint 
for a group that had been written off by some people in the league as not being able to get back to that top level again. To have this kind of game early on, just a couple weeks after having that game in Brooklyn where they just wiped out KD and the Nets, this is another one of those times where they can look back and remind everybody, we're still here and we're not going anywhere. Nick, I want to know what happened last season at the end of the year when the Warriors kind of finally something clicked with them, like the style of play that we see now that catapulted them back into where they're at, where they're at. Like the last time these two teams played at the end of the regular season, that was the version of it. And we saw defensively for Phoenix, that meant that Mikal Bridges started on Steph Curry. How now that Curry is all over the place and we know it's a five man job to guard him. Like how do they guard the Warriors? Well, Courtney, what what happened for the Warriors is Kelly Oubre and James Wiseman stopped playing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. once that happened, that, that got them on the, the run that they were on to close last year and then uh, how they they kept going into this season. And, and Wiseman will return like Clay Thompson here at some point, uh, if you're a Warriors fan, hopefully in the next few weeks. But they got guys who know how to play off Steph and Draymond. And and that is not something that that roster had in large supply last year. So as far as tonight goes, with the Suns and, and trying to to at least stay in front of Steph, what I would tell you is the difference between the Warriors last year and the Warriors now is gonna they're gonna show you another range of that tonight because you can throw everybody you want on Steph. And you can say, well, he is not going to beat us. The difference with this team is they have other guys who can't. They have other guys who know the gravity that he creates and that can shoot from the outside. They have guys who can pass the ball at a much higher pace and get somebody else into rhythm. Uh, I know Andrew Wiggins is questionable right now, but he has had a really solid last few weeks. He's a big reason why they're playing the way they are. And everybody always talks about Draymond's defense and guys he's He's probably the defensive player of the year right now if if the voting, uh, we were counting it after a month and a half. But the difference with Draymond is he's in such great shape that he can handle being the motor offensively as well alongside Steph. So uh, the key for, for this group is that they have all these different weapons now and all these different guys who feel a lot more comfortable in Steve Kerr's system. And that is the reason they won all those games to close last year. And that's the reason they continue to win so many games to start this one. Nick Friedel is with us here on Spain and Fitz, our ESPN NBA reporter ahead of tonight's Suns Warriors games. As we said, Warriors tops in the league right now, 18 and two Phoenix hasn't lost in over a month. They are one win shy of tying the franchise record with 17 straight W's. As we talked about, this is just November. They are going to play again very soon. But if we're watching this with an eye towards who are the kings of the West, which team is more likely to prevail down the stretch if they do end up meeting in the postseason in a series, obviously very different than one game. But what are you looking for tonight in terms of specific matchups that will tell us which is actually the better team? I'm always looking at Chris Paul versus Steph, Sarah. And and Courtney just mentioned Bridges, and, and we know defensively he's been really, really good. And Aiton, when he is rolling, gives Phoenix a different look against Golden State because of his size and the way he performed certainly at times uh, last year in the playoffs. But any 
series or any matchup between these two teams, it's Chris Paul and Steph Curry. And they've been going at each other for a lot of years uh, in Paul's case in several different places. But Steph always has the ability to raise his own game when he's going up against Paul, dating back to the fact that they've had a friendship and known each other for, uh, at, at this point, close to you know 15 years. So when you watch those two, there is an extra edge in their games that they bring out of each other. And if you're trying to figure out potentially if this were a Western Conference Finals preview or if these two teams may see each other down the line, what I'm going to be curious about isn't just can the sun slow down Steph. It's what kind of challenge can Chris Paul bring back at Steph with the way he's playing right now because Steph is playing the best I've ever seen him play. And when you're seeing the Warriors follow that suit, and you're seeing him potentially win his third MVP if he stays healthy and can stay on this level. I don't know what Chris Paul is going to be able to do uh, to to slow that down, but whatever it is defensively, this is where you start to figure it out. And These are the type of tapes that you look back on four or five months down the line and say, okay, this is what we did here, and this is what we've got to kind of continue to see over the course of a potential seven-game series. Okay, so I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I did see the video that the Warriors put out of Clay with the Santa Cruz Warriors, their G League team, looking all you know Clay-like out there. And, and the, the caption on it is step-by-step, step, and this is on the Warriors' Twitter account. He was just cleared to return to practice at 100% this past Sunday and said he, quote, can't wait to get back on the court for the Warriors. I would like to see the Splash Brothers back together soon. When do you think that that's going to happen? I think it's going to be right around Christmas, Courtney. What uh, a it, Christmas present got, for us all. I, it, it is going to be quite the experience, too, because the Warriors have already said publicly, he's going to return at home. They are not going to. And, and the, <laughs> speaking of the Suns, the Warriors play in Phoenix again on Christmas. So it isn't going to be that game, but I, I would expect it to be. They've got a couple of home games right before Christmas. They've got a game against the Nuggets right after Christmas. Somewhere in there seems likely. But either way, when you watch those clips that you mentioned, when you talk to uh, some of the assistants who have worked with him and his teammates who are watching him now day in, day out of practice, he looks like his old self. And while there's certainly going to be rust and there's going to be times where you're like, ah, you know, I don't know if he's all the way back yet, they all feel very comfortable in knowing that the shot is still there and the desire to be great is very much still there. And when you have that kind of combination, that's when special things can start to happen. So I don't think it's a fair expectation for anybody to believe he's going to look like the Clay Thompson of old early on. But I do think if he's playing and he's going the way we're used to seeing over the course of the next few months before the playoffs, that's the hope is you get him into shape, feeling good about his game again, and then he can hit a different level when they're going to need him the most. I am so looking forward to tonight's game. I think the NBA is so much better when Steph is playing well and when the Warriors are relevant again, and obviously the Suns, a ton of fun. Thanks for the insight, Nick. Enjoy the game tonight. Always, y'all. Talk to you soon.
Nick Friedel, our buddy, an ESPN NBA reporter on Suns Warriors happening tonight. By the way, don't forget to tune into That's What She Said, the podcast hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women's sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade's proven formula is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Coming up, the latest college football playoff rankings are out. Notre Dame on the outside looking in, and it may stay that way regardless of how this weekend shakes out. Plus, a comment from an NFL coach about the college game that has him looking real suspect. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. That's right. Michigan fans elated after finally getting the monkey off their back, beating Ohio State. Now they just have to not blow it in the Big Ten Championship to hang on in the playoff. They are number two in the latest college football rankings. College football's play of the month is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is heating up and fans are hyped. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. You heard that on Learfield as Michigan beats Ohio State there at Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And let's get into these rankings again a little bit. We've got Georgia sitting at number one still. Michigan, as I said, moving up to number two. Alabama at three, Cincinnati at four, Oklahoma State at five, and Notre Dame at six. A lot of people are saying if Alabama drops to Georgia, then they will be out. Cincinnati, probably Oklahoma State moves up. But with some chaos, you might see Notre Dame in there. There is a chance a three-loss Alabama could somehow get in. But uh, the thing that had us talking earlier in the show, Courtney, was Gary Barta and his comments about how personnel, including both players and coaches, could affect rankings. Here's what he said about Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame. Committee obviously was aware of all the coaching changes while we were going through the rankings. This week, it uh, didn't apply because the games had occurred and uh, we evaluated based on those games. Once the championship games wrap up, our protocol does include the ability for the, the committee to consider a player or a coach not being available. And should that have a, a, an effect on the outcome of a game, that can be considered. Uh, at this point, we'll have to wait and see how that factors in. But it is one of the criteria that's now added to strength of schedule, to head-on-head uh, -head competition and, and uh, winning championships, et cetera. So, I mean, we talked about this before. We understand it's a business for both players and coaches at this point, making decisions through the transfer portal, through taking jobs. But, man, would that sting if Notre Dame had a really great shot at getting into the playoffs and having a chance at a national title and his departure prevents them from even getting that opportunity. I would really hope that each selection committee member, I know that they're allowed to decide how important that piece is to them. I would hope that they wouldn't in turn hurt the players and the remaining coaches at Notre Dame. If they do what they need to do and they deserve to be in there in the final four, I hope that they get in. I hope that Brian Kelly is not holding anybody back because, man, the legacy he would leave after being the winningest head coach mm -hmm. in fighting Irish history to then prevent your team for to playing from a national championship is just like that's unprecedented. So I really hope that since this is such a – arbitrary thing the committee gets to decide we talked to Pete Futak they said he could put any team that they want if they wanted to put ULM in there they could um based on the, the the principles that are outlined within the college football playoff guidelines I just really hope for the sake of this Notre Dame team that stands 11 and 1 right now that they don't end up having to sit out because of their head coaches their former head coaches decisions yeah I completely agree it would be heartbreaking to to see and you know it 
it, it, you can't underplay his importance and the importance of him being on the sidelines and coaching, but it does feel like a massive punishment for players um, who have earned it. And the subjectivity of the decision-making that they've shown all along really lets you believe that if they want to put them in, they can. And, and that, of course, is completely dependent on how everybody else fares. Cincinnati trying to become the first group of five team to ever get into the college football playoff. They play number 21 Houston at home in the AAC championship game. It's just not as impressive as a win as what Oklahoma State can do. If they beat Baylor, who's currently sitting at number nine in the Big 12 championship, they're likely to leapfrog Cincinnati. So if Alabama loses, that's great. We might still see Cincinnati break through, and I would love to see that because I think the system is so unfair that for a team to do what Cincinnati's done and still not make it would be Mm -hmm. basically all you need to see to know that there's not a possibility for a group of five ever to make it with the current format. Um... But as Pete Futak said, if there's chaos, there is the opportunity for Notre Dame to find their way in. Um, Jack Swarbrick still saying the team is well positioned. Um, And in the end, like you said, you could just decide, well, we just, you know, we we used the eye test or we looked at the numbers or whatever version of the metrics they decide. Um, They could surprise us all even if things fall into place um, uh, uh, this weekend. Although I don't think that's likely. I think what Pete mm-hmm. said is probably right. You're going to get, in some order, Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State. Yeah, I think the only way that Cincinnati would drop out is if there's like two spots that are up for grabs between you know, Alabama, the SEC championship, and then the Big 12 championship. I can't – we talk about legitimacy with the CFP committee and with these rankings. I think that if they don't keep this team in there, you know, it's an undefeated team that beat a ranked team, they dropped out of the Final Four, like the entire system would lose all of its credibility. What remaining if, credibility it has. <laughs> what remaining, yeah, exactly. Um, I think it would certainly help if Alabama loses. Like that is just another way to kind of check a box if you're Cincinnati and, and make sure that you can solidify your case even more. But – I really think the committee is going to have a hard time leaving them out, especially, I mean, there's so much intrigue now that the AAC championship game, like them keeping Houston where they're at at 21, there's so much intrigue around that game. I believe that happens on Saturday. So, you know, all eyes will be on that. And if Cincinnati Cincinnati ends up losing, then I think we already like move them out, but they should be okay. I would think if they're still undefeated at this point next week. Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight as we react to the college football playoff rankings and how Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame could possibly affect whether they slide in. Of course, doesn't help them that Wisconsin's out because they were hoping for that win over the Badgers to help their final ranking. So I'm hoping for no chaos so we don't have to deal with the heartbreak of hearing that Notre Dame didn't get a spot because of Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly's decision has a lot of of fallout across the Um, college football as people now have to figure out who's going to take that spot at Notre Dame. A lot of people saying, um, you know, this could be a problem for Cincinnati as well. Um, You know, Luke Fickle making the move. A lot of conversation about um, openings at at places like uh, Oklahoma State. Well, or Oklahoma, I should say. Cliff Kingsbury got asked about that. Meanwhile, you recall that his Cardinals are tops in the NFL, 9-2, and and yet he's still being asked about whether he would leave that with the perfect QB that he had picked for college. And here's what he said. Hey, Cliff, happy Thanksgiving. Um, there was a report yesterday saying that Oklahoma was interested in you for the head coaching job. wondering if you had a reaction to that and if you have mutual interest in that job. Yeah, I, I don't get in those things. Um, my sole focus the last couple weeks has been Chicago Bears and 
after watching them on Thanksgiving, uh, it needs to be because they're a really good football team and um, had a big win, and so that's where my focus has been. Okay, that is suspect, dude. They are not a good team, and they did not get a big win. They beat the winless Lions on a last-second field goal. That is sus, okay? You just say, no, I'm not interested. I'm on a very winning NFL team. Why would I do that? I'm watching you. I'm watching you, Cliff. Suspect. Mark Silverman's going to join us next, coming up Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. That's right. Be a part of Giving Tuesday. If you can, help support the V Foundation, v.org slash donate. We've been talking about it all day here on ESPN Radio. Some incredible voices sharing their stories of their fights with cancer and how much the V Foundation means to them. If you can't do that, do something nice for somebody. Do something good today, financially or otherwise, on this Giving Tuesday and be a part of the global movement. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, someone who knows a whole lot about the V Foundation and in recent years became much more personal as he fought his own battle with uh, stage 3 diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's Mark Silverman, a.k.a. Sylvie from Waddle & Sylvie on ESPN 1000 in Chicago, my old stomping grounds. And Sylvie, I mean, I, I can't imagine what now the V Foundation and this day means to you so differently after last March, March of 2020. You get that news and it's in the middle of COVID and, and the worst possible time to be in and out of hospitals. Just tell us about that moment when you first heard. Yeah, Sarah, always great to talk to you. Um, it was it's crazy because, you know, it's the beginning of COVID and we still didn't really know much about COVID. And you know, the biggest scare for me was when I would go to the hospital for this new diagnosis and when I would need the doctors and the scientists and the nurses and people in the infusion center the most, would they even be there for me? Like, that was my question. People were saying, hey, if you don't have to go to the doctors, if you don't have to go to the hospital, stay away because it's all hands on deck for COVID. So I wasn't even sure. Um, but that was, you know, it, it and that's, how much appreciation that I've always had for the medical field, but even more so now uh, during this whole thing. But look, you know, we were, we've been teammates for a lot of years and you and I and, and Waddle, we'd be on the air and we'd be talking about the, the V foundation for many years, many different times of year. And we would always try to share the experiences that our listeners would have or someone that we knew. And the, the one thing that I always said to people is that we're always knowing someone who's going through the battle and and it's not that far, it's not like the six degrees of separation right. of Kevin Bacon you know this is like one or two degrees and then the next thing you know there's zero degrees of separation and I'm staring in the mirror and I'm looking at the lumps on my neck and the lumps in my armpits and it's me after all the years and um, you know I just thank God and I thank uh, the V Foundation um, for you know the 20 years that I was talking about them and raising money for them, if we hadn't done that, then I don't know if I would have been in the situation that I was when I was diagnosed. And I'm in remission now, and I've been in remission for over a year right now. So the 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 leaps and bounds that we have made in the 20 plus years that I've talked about it has been amazing. And and just to go through it personally, you see firsthand just how much better things are. Mark, I wanted to ask you about just seeing the hospitals probably at capacity. How scary was it to actually be in there 
when they're overfilled with COVID patients during the beginning of this, while you're there, you know, trying to get treatment for cancer, just seeing what that was like when there was so much unknown about people who would come into the hospital and then not ultimately not come out because of COVID. Right, right. And Courtney, it was like, so in the wing where I was, and I was treated at Lake Forest Hospital, which is a part of Northwestern Hospital um, in the Chicago suburbs. And they have a, their infusion center is in a different wing from the emergency room and for everything else in the hospital. But my ba- and, and like they would even space out the appointments more than they ever have. So the thing that I just was so aware of was the scare that the people in the medic- medical community had because they had to go to work not knowing what they were facing by going to the hospitals that were overrun, that had people that they were around in the different portions of the hospital. And I would just look at them and I'd be like, thank you for being here. You know, I mean, nothing was guaranteed then. I wasn't, I wasn't sure like for anybody taking my blood, anybody giving me the chemotherapy, anybody who is there to look at my PET scan, um, you know, from the people who would check me in at the reception area, when all the things that we know now, we didn't know then, they were all risking their lives and risking their health to help me. And it was uh, it just made your appreciation for everybody all hands on deck for this uh, even more so. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on this Giving Tuesday as we spent a lot of the day talking about the V Foundation and the great work they've done. You can help by going to v.org slash donate. Mark Silverman of Waddle and Sylvie, ESPN 1000, longtime voice in Chicago, taking you through the ups and downs of Chicago sports, has battled his own fight with cancer. And, and you know, talking all day about all these things, you're just reminded that the people that you interact with on things big and small, whether it's the frustrations of the Bears quarterbacks or whether the Cubs are going to do anything in the offseason, have these lives outside of the sports world and very serious things. And when you see co- people come together and support you during your fight and, and your openness and talking about it on the show, it's it's kind of humanizing for as much as we argue with each other and really uh, right. can be inhumane with each other about our differing sports opinions, right? Which I'm sure you felt during that time. Yeah, oh yeah, I, absolutely. People who would rip me for my Bulls thoughts or my Bears thoughts or, hey, we never agreed on Jay Cutler, but, you know, there they were, the people that you would hear from. Um, it, it was amazing. It's a, it, you know this, Sarah. I mean, and especially you know audio these days. Whether it's being on the radio, whether it's having a podcast, the intimacy of getting to know our listeners and our listeners getting to know us. And it's always, I know it's how you operate. It's how I operate. I've always been an open book, for good or bad. These are my stupid opinions, and this is my silly life, and this is my weird self. And here they all are. <laughs> So when, when I was diagnosed, um, that's sort of the way I just continued to proceed. It was really the only way I knew how to proceed. And it was very therapeutic for me to continue to just vent when I wasn't feeling well or to um, share gratitude. We all know how we feel when we share gratitude and we tell people how thankful we are for them being there. And it, it just helped me get through it. I mean, and you know, during all this time in the beginning of, of COVID, when I was going through all this, I didn't even have sports to share with right. anybody. You remember at the right. beginning of it, yeah, they shut down my favorite thing. So I'll never forget that first Cubs game opening day after COVID, after that long, long delay. I came home from uh, chemo that day and my head was spinning and I was dizzy 
And then I was hopped up on some sleeping pills, but it was like the most glorious opening day I've ever experienced. (laughs) So this feels like a great time to transition to baseball and get your takes on what the Cubs uh, did not do during free agency. So it looks like they signed a backup catcher and and Clint Frazier, Mm -hmm. and that's about it. I mean, why and, like, what are they doing? I mean, is Wilson Contreras getting traded? Is there something that I don't know? Like, I mean, it just kind of feels like they're doing nothing, and I'm sure Sarah's not thrilled about that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, Courtney, I think there's a lot that we all don't know. I mean, um, I don't even know if the Cubs know, truly. Um, are they going to just be in on the bargain basement deals after the lockout is settled? And are they just going to go around the edges and try to find their fines and, and continue to build? You know, I read something today from Tom Ricketts that he sent out to season ticket holders in the middle of October where he basically said that they're going to compete and, and I get it that they're not going to be the Cardinals and they're not going to be the Brewers, um, but we don't expect that team that we saw at the end of the year. And they need a lot of pitching. I don't know where they're going to get it. They signed Wade Miley at the beginning of it. But I would hope that when the Cubs get to the starting gate, whenever that is this year, that their, their payroll isn't at $60 million or $65 million. Um, and, and I think, you know, Tom Ricketts has been getting a lot of criticism in town but he also brought the Cubs the golden era of baseball. He also hired Jed and Theo. So I'm hoping that as this thing goes on, they will reflect more of what a real baseball team looks like, and they still have the benefit of the doubt with me. Sarah, I know that's hard for you to believe because I don't give a lot of people the benefit of the right. doubt. Right. But, but when, you go, when, when you go to five out of six postseasons from 15 to 20 and what we were conditioned with the Cubs before that, I'm still – Wait, I'm still in wait and see mode before I'm on um, pounce mode. I agree only because I did promise that I wasn't going to be the kind of person that immediately moves on from a century plus in the making victory and the kind of promises that they made and fully kept. It's hard because I associate most of that with Theo, though. You know, when you finally right. get a front office person that you fully trust, and it's not going to be 100%, but it's going to hit on most things and it's going to do exactly. We're going to suck. It's going to be ugly. And then we're going to contend, and then we're going to win. And all of those things happen. And then he left, and I'm like, no, no. I don't know who else to trust. It's just you. And, you know, I'm I'm worried about Wilson Contreras, and I'm worried about, you know, what Jan Gomes. Is that a backup catcher, or is that, you know, the beginning of something yeah. else when it comes to Wilson all of those things. Um, I just need to focus on Wrigley Field being a good bar. If that's a, a, an insult that people use, I'm going to take it as a compliment. We have a good time no matter what, and I will try to do that no matter how long whatever this is is going to last. Hey, quickly, before I let you go, I've been listening to a lot of Waddle and Sylvie lately, driving around, getting the temperature of the city on Justin Fields and our horrific and embarrassing Bears. I, I hope a lot of changes are yet to come. We thought that last year, and then they snuck into the playoffs and used that as an excuse to bring so many people back. I don't think it's possible that Nagy sticks around I don't think it's probable likely that pace sticks around how much joy are you just getting out of hoping that Justin Fields is at least the find we've been waiting all century for and and then some faith that they put the right people in place the way the Bulls who didn't seem like they would be able to seem to have done with their front office it's it's sort of like you know that it masked the pain is the way I describe Justin Fields all that we went through as Bears fans, Sarah, in the offseason, I can't believe Matt Nagy is still here, Ryan Pace is still here, Ted Phillips is still here for the 22nd year as the team president, that they got Justin Fields at number 11, and we have a quarterback who we watched do it on the highest level of college football, who looks the part, he can do everything well, he's smart, he's athletic, 
He throws a pretty football. He's a great leader. And then as the season started, you're like, oh, yeah, these guys drive me insane. (laughs) And he only could mask the pain for so long. And then you just realized how, again, bad the organization is from top to bottom. So what I need to see, Sarah, is just him to give me that hope that just like when he started his college career, he may not have fit in Georgia, but he found his new home at Ohio State. And while these guys may not be as permanent people that he's around, once we get the sort of people like he surrounded himself with Ryan Day at Ohio State, we'll see the greatness come to, Let's come hope to the so. top. Let's hope it's not about yep. leaving places, though, because that would be a very Bears thing, too. Right. They gave up on him, and he went somewhere else, and he was amazing. Hey, thanks so much for the time, Sylvie. So glad you're in remission, and, and so thankful you're, you're talking about all of this to bring other people into the mix and hopefully inspiring them to give to the V Foundation as well. Thanks for the time. I can't tell you guys how important the V Foundation is to me, to my family, to everyone in Chicago. So even if you could give a couple of bucks, it is the best there is. So thank you. Yeah, go to v.org slash donate. Be a part of Giving Tuesday and this global movement for the V Foundation. Even just a little bit helps. It's Bain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. If your pet passenger is injured in a car accident, get help paying for vet expenses. Pet protection comes free with auto collision coverage. Get a quote at Progressive.com. Coming up, lots of reaction to Gary Barta's comments on Notre Dame. We'll share some of that with you next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. A lot of drama in college football before the rankings even hit tonight. And then a very quick rankings show as they got to business and let us know what it's going to look like heading into championship weekend. And if everything goes according to plan, you can expect to see probably Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, and maybe Oklahoma State. But there's plenty of room for chaos. And with all the coaches moving around, that's added another little wrinkle. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget, it's Giving Tuesday. We've been supporting the V Foundation all day long on ESPN Radio. V.org slash donate is where you can do your part. Even just a little bit helps. Um, we were talking about the, the college football playoff and uh, all the things that could possibly go wrong. I revealed that a couple years ago, after doing a full multi-month college football bachelorette process, I selected the Michigan Wolverines. Thus far, it has not been a very fruitful relationship, but I'm glad I hung on because they are now number two in the rankings And all they need is a win over Iowa in the Big Ten Championship to stay in the playoff and have a shot at the national championship. But, of course, people are already trying to spoil it for me on Spain and Fitz Nation. At Rotisserie Gold hit me up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed and wrote, Y'all about to be disappointed with a gif of a very happy Iowa player hugging his coach. Okay, that's not very nice. And then our, our favorite listener, Angry Bears fan dad man at Angry Bears FDM, also hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. He's always a part of Spain and Fitz Nation. And he said, did Courtney Cronin just call the CFP rankings by the committee arbitrary? I saw Feeling it all like caps. that's some shade on Michigan. I assumed you were speaking of every other part of the rankings and that you believed that Michigan was rightfully placed at number two. Please tell me that you were not calling their selection of Michigan arbitrary. I actually wasn't talking specifically about Michigan because that comment came from the Gary Barta comment that (laughs) the CFP committee members can choose their own adventure effectively when right. it comes when to said, Brian Kelly and watching the, the games. <laughs> yeah. That, that was, I mean, my God, I still, that rings through my head every day after yeah. he said that two weeks ago. Um, 
but now, you know, with Brian Kelly and is Notre Dame going to make it in? Is the loss of their head coach? I mean, he's not dead. I don't mean to say it like that, but is him bolting for LSU and what could potentially be an unprecedented move where you have an 11 and one team that very well could be in the CFP. Do they not get in now because of their head coach's decision? I really hope that the committee members, as arbitrary as their selections may be, don't decide to pull that card because I just don't think that would be fair to the the players and the remaining coaches that are there. I hope they're not even in a position to do so. Let's listen to what you just talked about. Gary Barter was responding to a, a, a very good question. I don't know if he brought it up or someone asked him, but the possibility of Brian Kelly not being available to coach Notre Dame affecting their chances of sliding into the playoffs. Committee obviously was aware of all the coaching changes while we were going through the rankings this week. It uh, didn't apply because the games had occurred and uh, we evaluated based on those games. Once the championship games wrap up, our protocol does include the ability for the, the committee to consider a player or a coach not being available. And should that have a, a, an effect on the outcome of a game, that can be considered. Uh, at this point, we'll have to wait and see how that factors in. But it is one of the criteria that's now added to strength of schedule, to head on head competition and, and uh, winning championships, et cetera. Etc. I love what's in the etc. It's really anything we feel like. One Choose week your own it's head adventure. to head. One week it's the numbers. One week it's watching with our eyeballs. One week it's uh, would those people be fun to play against each other? Uh, by the way, Gary Bart is going to be on with Freddie and Fitzsimmons at 9:30 Eastern tonight. That's a must listen. You'll hear what he has to say about the current selections and the possibilities that lay ahead for the teams. By the way, don't forget tune into the ESPN Daily podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters. Presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily. Available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Good stuff always there from Pablo Torre and company. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be an incredibly exciting championship weekend. And what's always wild, Courtney, and I say this every year, and no one wants to hear it because all the people that are indoctrinated into the world of college football love the twists and turns and the content that it provides. But you look at the beginning of the year after one loss, and it was, oh, no one's going to make it. They're out. If they lose this, it's mm-hmm. over. And then you look at Alabama. Alabama would beat everybody on this slate by 30 touchdowns. They're unstoppable. No one could do anything. And, well, they have a very good chance of not being in. Unless the committee says, man, a a two-loss Alabama team, considering Mm -hmm. who they're playing this week, it might be the best defense ever in college football. Who knows? Um, Unless the committee just – I mean, again, they can pick who they want to put in this thing, and if they think that that's going to make for the best games on New Year's Day and thereafter with a national championship, they can go that route. There are going to be a lot of very angry fans. That probably means, you know, Cincinnati's not getting in, and who knows about Oklahoma State considering how, you know, that that Big 12 championship game with Baylor's a big one. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – the committee will choose what they want to do. I just hope that in certain circumstances they don't like take full credence of what they could do, like with Brian Kelly and all of that. Yeah, I, I again, that would get real messy, and I hope that is not the position that they are in, and I hope that they are not being given a position to figure out whether they're deserving or not. I hope it's very cut and dried because it's just heartbreak for those kids who are already losing their coach before the end of the season for whatever bowl game they might play in, even more so if they have a shot at a national championship and he's not around. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.